Let me tell you every new husband's nightmare question. This is how it plays out. He's sitting somewhere close to his wife. There's a moment, maybe 20, 30 seconds of silence, maybe longer. His wife, to whom he's been married a short time, leans in, touches his hand, looks at him with a sweet smile on his face, and asks him, what are you thinking? Immediately, the man is brought into a world that he knows nothing (laughs) about because he has not been paying attention to what he's been thinking. He probably has not been thinking on anything remotely close to what his wife thinks he's thinking. And now all of a sudden, he needs to verbalize from a man's point of view something that might possibly make sense to his wife. And no matter what he says that first time, he fails. So welcome to the world of new husbands. Ladies, let me just tell you, God has made you so powerfully. He's made you so beautifully. He's made you so wondrously. And he's made you so very different than men. That is just the bottom line truth. Men aren't always thinking deeply. Can I strengthen this? Men, especially non-believing men, rarely are pondering things differently or deeply unless they are um, a certain type of man. Most men don't, when they go into neutral, they don't go deep into thought. That is the case with most men, not the case with all men. Having said all of that, my dear brothers, you probably experienced a moment of a chuckle there or maybe some relief that you're not the only one who has no idea how to articulate to his new wife what he is thinking. But guys, let me tell you something. This is for all of us, men and women. I'm talking to followers of Jesus of both genders, male and female. The truth is, is that our minds are always somewhere. And we are called as followers of Jesus to own our thoughts. We're actually instructed in the word of God to prioritize what is happening between our ears. And um, because a lot of Christians take more of a, I don't know, um, an easygoing approach to this, it provides an open door for the enemy to work in our minds in ways that honestly he should not have the ability to do. And I call these issues mind games. That's not a unique or a new phrase, but it's an accurate phrase. The the devil, the demonic realm, even the world system, the spirit of the age, um, it, it literally seeks to come into some form of dominance of your thinking. And let me let you in on a little heavy piece of news. If you're not proactively waging war for the battlefield of your mind, then the demonic realm... And the world system, the spirit of the age, is actually winning. And maybe not every thought, maybe not every day, but they are winning in such a way that it is dragging you away from the mind of Christ. And when we are dragged away from the mind of Christ, we are susceptible to all sorts of unnecessary problems and pitfalls and sins and relationship fractures that really ought not to be in our lives. And they don't have to be in our lives if we'll be proactive at um, winning the wa- the war of the mind. I, I think the enemy is like playing mind games. We can't afford to play mind games. We have to win the mind war. And so I'm going to go to a very familiar passage of Scripture in today's episode of Maver- Mavericks and Misfits. 
And I'm going to read to you um, from Paul's words to the church at Corinth. And, you know, Paul was having to write second Corinthians because, um, there was a lot of nonsense that was going on that was aimed at destroying the apostles credibility. And so he reluctantly has to enter into this defense of his apostleship, his leadership. And in the context of his magnificent letter of second Corinthians, um, we get to chapter number 10 And he's literally telling the church in the early verses of chapter 10 that, hey, I wrote to you a letter so you would repent of this discord and division and attacks on my apostleship. I know you've got these super apostles who think they're awesome that have come in in my absence and they're seeking to destroy my ministry. I told you how to handle them. I told them to repent. Since they haven't and since it hasn't been handled, I'm going to be showing up and I'm going to promise you something. When I show up, you're going to find out that I don't battle in the flesh. I battle with spiritual power. It's kind of an intense kind of a, I mean, he's kind of a boss in this thing. Um, But then he's also pleading with them to say, hey, guys, you need to recognize you're actually not fighting me. You're fighting the Lord, and you're actually not fighting for you. The enemy is using you. So he's talking about this issue of warfare, and then he's talking also to them. He's about to instruct them in the verses I want to cover about how they're deceived in their thinking and how they need to take a proactive approach to uh, kind of recalibrating the way they're thinking about him, the way they're thinking about the kingdom, the way they're thinking about um, the Christian life. And so these are the verses that you guys have heard, especially if you come from any kind of Pentecostal charismatic background. These are some of the favorite verses that Pentecostal people like to go to, but we need to understand it's not just kind of like these standalone verses. These are instructional. Um, These are verses of scripture that reveal kind of some of the secrets to winning warfare. And especially when that warfare is situated in, in between your ears, it's, it's happening in your head. It's in your mind. It's, it's going after your thoughts because realistically you never rise above what you actually believe or think to be true. You will operate within the context of what you believe or think to be true. And here's just a little question that we all probably need to be humbled enough to consider. What if your primary thoughts that are driving you in a relationship or in a situation or in your life pursuit, what if those thoughts aren't actually God's thoughts? What if they're not true? Even worse, what if they're framed up by the deceptive tactics of Satan in the demonic realm? Or what if you've been so heavily influenced by the spirit of the age that you're unaware that you're operating in the spirit of the age because it all feels so right and true to you? And so one of the things that I do regularly, I'm going to get to the verses in a second, but one of the things I do regularly is I slow down, get quiet, shut my door, turn off my phone, everything, no, no intrusion whatsoever. And I ask the Lord to reveal to me what, what thoughts are driving me right now. What is leading me, Lord? Am I listening to the Holy Spirit? Am I operating out of my spirit? And when you're operating out of your spirit, your mind will be involved. But is your mind submissive to what the spirit is saying? And if if you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that because it's a safeguard against you walking in prolonged hours or days. God help us even weeks or longer of deception and not even knowing it. So this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.3. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, 
but have divine power to destroy, strong word there, to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, those are some pretty intense words. If, if nothing else, you've got to recognize that Paul is not being casual about the mind games that the enemy plays and the war that is waged against our thoughts and how those come out in relational conflict. That's the context in 2 Corinthians 10. There's a relational conflict, and Paul is basically saying, hey, you're about to find out the difference between how you wage war and I wage war. And so in that context of him telling them, you don't want to go there with me. I don't want to go there with you because you're fighting in your flesh and I'm actually fighting in the wisdom, the truth, and the power of God. And it's not going to be good for you. And so he's saying, this is how, can I use the song? This is how I fight my battles. And he is saying that he is operating in spiritual warfare against people who are operating in carnal fleshly warfare. And the question that you and I need to ask and answer regularly is, since we can't avoid the battle, since we are going to have conflict and trouble and opposition, both from the demonic and the human realm, what kind of war are we waging? Is our thinking spiritual or is our thinking carnal? Okay. So a couple of things I am, I'm just going to walk you through these verses. This is not going to be like scary in depth, like you know, hard Bible study, but this is using the word for me to prophetically teach and apply the word of God to you, unpack it so you can consider it for your own present life. Okay. That's what I'm doing today. That's what I do frequently on this podcast and our other streams is I'll take a passage of scripture and say to you, this isn't history. This is contemporary. This is right now. This is not old words for old dead people 2,000 years ago. This is God's living word for you right now where you're living in 21st century uh, Christianity. Okay? So Paul opens up and he's just going to acknowledge something. That there is a inherent potential weakness. What do I mean? He says we walk in the flesh. That means he's, he's human. He's not saying he's getting in his flesh like in a sinful way. He's saying, no, I'm human. I walk in a body. I have limitations. I have weaknesses. And if I wanted to, I could just merely operate in a human capacity. He says, yes, I am just flesh and blood like you. And I'm walking in the flesh, not in the sinful component of the flesh, but I am walking and living a natural life in addition to being driven and led and committed to spiritual principles. But the very first thing he's saying is, hey, all of us have this potential to give into our inherent weaknesses that are housed in our flesh. He says, yeah, I walk in the flesh, you walk in the flesh. He says, but we're not waging war in the flesh, not according to the flesh. He says, yeah, I am human. I live in a human body. I live in limitations. I have physical capacities of emotion, intellect, and will. He says, yep, I'm just like you. We, we all came from the dust. He says, but here's the thing. We are saved and saved people have this amazing opportunity not to live according to the flesh and certainly not to wage war, spiritual war in the flesh. And so Paul says, we're going to fight here for what is spiritually true and valid. He says, because I don't war according to my flesh, 
the weapons, that's verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Okay, so here's right here is where we begin to say we have choices to make. In conflict, in battle, in opposition, it could be a thousand different things. It could be in your body. It could be in your finances. It could be in your relationships. It could be in your ministry. It could be anything, okay? So we just know as Christians, we're opposed. We're opposed by our own flesh and we're opposed by the world system. I call that the spirit of the age. And we are definitely opposed by the demonic realm. If you are living for the glory of God, if you're proactively seeking your life to mean something in the kingdom, you are opposed by the enemy. And sometimes the enemy shows up through the people that are right around you. And you have a choice to make. How am I going to fight this battle? Am I going to fight it ruthlessly in my flesh? using all of my natural strength, all my natural gifting, all my natural resources, my natural response to being attacked. Am I going to wage war like that? Or like Paul, are you going to refuse to act in the natural and slow down and make sure you're abiding in Jesus because your warfare can't be won through the flesh. So spiritual battles can be won, but in order to be won, you must fight in the spirit. So we have to cultivate skill with spiritual weapons. And by the way, you don't get that in a weekend conference. You get that in a lifetime of what it means to get into war, to seek the Lord, to submit yourself, to walk in humility, to pray, to fast ahead of the battle. Like battles in the spirit are won before the battle actually gets there. The, 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 the victory is manifested in the timing of the battle, but the preparation for that battle is what actually wins you the victory. And that's true, by the way, in natural military. If, if everybody waited to get trained while bullets were flying and bombs and missiles were going off, it, they'd lose every war. So what do they do? They prepare, they train, they get themselves physically, mentally, and skillfully ready for natural human warfare. And then when the battle happens down the road, they're ready. But Christians sometimes just kind of think, well, I'll know what to do when the bombs start going off in the spirit. Wrong. You won't know what to do. Why? Because you have to get armed spiritually before the war begins. And hallelujah, let me tell you, um, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter one and says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does that mean? It means you actually have what you need, but are you preparing what you have for the time that you're going to need it? So like you already as a child of God have the Holy Spirit, all of his gifts, all of his weaponry, but you have to put on the armor. You have to learn how to use the weaponry and you can't do that in the, you know, the instant drama of a conflict. You have to be ready ahead of time. And here's the beauty of it. Paul said, we're not warring in the flesh, but we have divine power. Please catch that because your Bible has to mean something. Like we just read past stuff. Like the best way to read your Bible is slowly. I'm all for going through the Bible in a year, but I don't think it's like the lifelong best way to study the Bible. You need to slowly marinate in the words of scripture. And so when I read a verse that says my weapons, Paul, Paul saying my weapons of warfare are not of my flesh. That has to mean something. And then he contrasts it and he says, my weaponry has divine power. Divine power means the very power of God in you, for you, and through you. That's what the Bible says. And here's the thing. Most, I always say that. I'm, I'm trying not to sound critical, but 
here's my belief. Most Christians, it's been my experience, most Christians never stop or rarely stop to say, hmm, I've got divine power. What does that mean? How am I using it? What does it look like in conflict? It's just like a Hallmark card. You know, you've read one card, you've read them all, you skim it, you thank God for the person it came from, but you know, you're not getting transformed by a Hallmark card. That's the way a lot of people treat their Bible. The problem is the Bible is not a Hallmark card. It is, in this case, it's an instruction for war. And you have divine power. So do you use it? Are you using it right now? In whatever conflict, maybe you're being attacked. Maybe demonic assault is coming against you. Maybe it's human conspiracy to get you. Who knows? You know, out of all the listeners, we could have a thousand different scenarios going on in individual lives. But what about your life? What is your current battle? Is it financial resources? Is it mental health? Is it physical health? Is it marriage? Is it children? Is it ministry? Is somebody done you wrong at work? I don't know. I'm just saying this has to mean something. And so in your battle, you can't go to your flesh to win. You have to go to the spirit. And when you go to the spirit, you're going to find access to divine power, things that the flesh can't win against. And that divine power, Paul goes on to say, is the power that he used to destroy strongholds. That is um, another kind of favorite charismatic Christian lingo. Bless God, we're going to destroy the strongholds in the name of Jesus. I say that stuff too. I mean, I believe it. But, but it has to mean something. It can't be just words. So what does destroy strong? What is a stronghold, by the way? Maybe we ought to answer that first. Well, the Greek word translated stronghold actually means a fortified, safely held castle. Now, if you walk up to a castle that's 100 feet tall, it's got fortified walls around it. It's got a moat. There's no drawbridge down. But inside of that castle is the enemy you have to destroy. You are immediately, as you walk up to it, you are immediately recognizing, I can't do this physically or easily. Why? Because the stronghold's bigger than the natural means to tear it down. So it's true in the spirit too. When, when we come up against things that are fortified castles and strongholds in, in the spirit realm, and I'm talking about opposing us, battles, demons, principalities, powers, opposition humanly, intimidating Goliath standing, which we know we have the authority to beat, but we got we to gotta listen to the Lord to figure out how to bring that giant down. Those are the strongholds that Paul is talking about, but he's talking about in the spirit. So there are fortified, defended, safely secured places that God is allowing you to stand in the shadow of. And you're, you're, you know that you've got to beat this thing, but you're also knowing I can't win this in my flesh. I don't have the abilities on my own to win this. And that's why Paul's saying, good, glad you recognize that. Because if you'll quit trusting in your abilities, your resources, your logic, your reason, and we're about to get to that, um, then you can remember that you have divine power. You, little old you, you, child of God, daughter of God, son of God, you, by virtue of being in uh, a house, a temple of the Holy Spirit, he lives in you. You have divine power. And that divine power enables you to destroy strongholds. Now, here is where he unpacks what these strongholds are. And this is why I'm telling you, this is primarily about the battlefield of the mind. Okay, so the battle is not won through physical strength, through mastery in fleshly things. The battle, the enemy is defeated by tearing down the strongholds. And what Paul is about to say is, let me tell you what the strongholds typically are. 
Um, and so he says, he opens up in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, the next verse, he says, we destroy arguments. So destroy strongholds, verse 4, is parallel to destroying arguments. Now, what what are these arguments? It's not like arguing with your spouse over, you know, leaving the toothpaste thing or, you know, the dishes in the sink or a little silly stuff. These are deep reasonings. These are well-formed, deeply ingrained patterns of thinking that take root in the mind and they literally become foundational to who you believe you are, who you believe God is, who you believe the people around you are, and what you believe life is about. And we all have these. Like we all have anchor points in our minds. And the question in this episode of Mavericks Misfits is whether or not your anchor points are grounded in truth. Are you seeing things the way God sees them? So when he uses this word destroying arguments, he's talking about the potential for logical reasoning in your brain or in your soul, logical reasoning that actually opposes faith. And just because you're saved and you go to church does not guarantee that you're living outside of the danger of by logical reasonings, you're actually living out your life in ways that oppose faith. They cause you to be less dependent on God, more trusting in self or people or resources. And those are strongholds. They're proud opinions that defy and deny God's truth, God's will, and God's power. Like proud opinions. This is the spirit of the age. Everything in the spirit of the age is proud and openly opposes God's will, God's ways, and God's words. And if you are not proactive in making sure you're getting fumigated and that junk is getting out of you because you walk in the world, man, and if you're not proactively listening to God intensely and intentionally, then the ways of the world are getting in your thinking and you'll start getting this infection of the world's proud opinions that become strongholds and they actually deny God's truth. And they defy his power and his rule. And sometimes, guys, it's not even out there. It's not the demons. It's not the world. It's you. It's me. Because strongholds can be our own rebellious thoughts. And those thoughts sometimes resist submission to the truth. And this happens a lot to people who are guided by their feelings rather than by the truth. Because some people, especially in our day, in our age, our day, people are dominated by their emotions. They're dominated. They wait to figure out what they're going to do depending on how they feel about it. That is a stronghold. I don't think the Lord intends for us to be unemotional robots, but we're so far away from that in the, in the kingdom. Most church ministries are driven to meet people's emotions, to and literally endorse their emotions, to, to kind of help them feel awesome about things, whether they should feel awesome about it or not. And so that's a stronghold and it can be in you and turns into rebellion. In other words, I'm not going to do what God tells me to do because I'm not feeling it. Well, you're in absolute rebellion. And if you keep doing that, that stronghold gets thickened brick by brick. One decision, one thought, one act of rebellion. You have to tear down the stronghold of rebellious thoughts, fearful thoughts, by the way. Some people feel like they get a free pass because, well, I'm not rebellious. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm afraid. Well, fear is a stronghold. If you're listening to fear, you're in rebellion against God. Now, I don't mean to be unsympathetic, but listen, fear has no authority over you. There's literally spirits of fear. There are demonic agents that seek to enslave people to 
fear, uncertainty, insecurity, intimidation, the what if factor. That's a stronghold. It's got to be torn down. Remember, Paul is saying you have to destroy these strongholds. You have to destroy these arguments, these ideas, these reasonings, these opinions, these rebellious thoughts, these these emotions. And guys, a lot of it does come through, you know, lies of the flesh or demonic lies that are all out there. They're just flowing. And it if you're not inspecting your heart, it's highly likely you've come into agreement with some things that are patently untrue. And it's not your pastor's job. It's not some prophet's job. It's not an apostle or an evangelist's job or a teacher's job to come and get you out of that, that bog. You are called to examine your own life, your own heart, your own mind and say, what am, what am I believing about this person that may not be true? What am I believing about myself that may not be true? What am I believing about God that I feel is true, but I haven't examined whether the Bible says it's true? Those become strongholds. Unexamined impulses become strongholds. So we examine them when we find them faulty. We don't coddle them. We don't cordon them off. We destroy them. We destroy them. What does that mean to destroy? Because the, the verb is used in verse 4 and verse number 5. Well, it's an interesting Greek word that I cannot pronounce, so I won't try to come off sounding smart, but it's an interesting Greek word that is used quite frequently in the New Testament. And so one of the things that I do, and I encourage all of you, Caneo students, you know this, our students at Caneo Ministry Training Center, they know how to do word studies, and everybody ought to know how to do it. So you trace the way that Greek word is used. It's translated here in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, 4 and 5, as destroy. You trace the other uses of that word in the New Testament, and you find out that to destroy, to destroy something is used in many places in the New Testament, it, it references dis- deposing a false god in Acts 19.27, throwing down a false god. In that case, it was the god of Artemis. And I won't go into the details, but you can look up Acts 19.27. It's the same word, to kick a false god down. It, it's also, interestingly, in Mark 15, this word destroy is used for the removal of Jesus's dead, crucified body for burial. That's holy ground for me, but but the, the usage of it is to take something dead down and bury it. And then you see in Acts 13, um, it's used for destroying pagan nations, seven pagan nations that were referenced in Acts 13, 19. And um, that same word destroy to, to bring to ruin pagan influences to Acts, excuse me, Luke 152. In, in Mary's Magnificat, the song, I believe, she references bringing down proud and lofty rulers from their thrones. So kicking off illegitimate rulers from their place of authority. It's the same Greek word to destroy. Tearing down barns is the way it's used in Luke 12. To tear down barns where things are stored. So let's look at that then. So in my life and your life, to destroy strongholds in the mind and arguments may mean that we have to unseat some false rulers to come out of agreement with the false gods of this world, to take something that is dead and just bury it, to to come and wage war against pagan influences and the pagan spirit of the age, and to, to literally to tear down the barns that you previously built in your mind where you've stored up stuff. Whoo, 
That makes me just want to speak in tongues. To to literally where you've just got stuff stored up for years and years, tear it down. Quit holding on to that inventory. Tear it down. That's some of what it means to destroy an argument or a stronghold. And then it also says to destroy, in verse number five, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Do you know whether or not what you believe, what your primary belief factors, you've got to have something that's driving your life. You have priorities, whether you've ever um, verbalized them or not or written them down or not, you have them. Something is driving your life. Have you bothered to check if those thoughts, words, opinions, priorities, could they be just lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God? Like, is what you believe... Not just Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus coming again. I asked him into my heart. That's like 101 of 101. That's, that's like the beginning. What do you believe about life? What do you believe about the kingdom? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about standing before the Lord and giving an account for how you lived your life? What do you believe about the people that are coming against you? Do you just fight them in the flesh? What, what if they're actually imprisoned and blinded by the enemy and God has allowed them to be exposed in your life, how they think and how they oppose you so that you can help them? Or do you just want them to go away and destroy? Like, guys, I know this is kind of putting some pressure on you, but Lord have mercy. We are so addicted to everybody making us feel more comfortable. I'm sitting here thinking it is war. This is war language in your Bible. This is not vacation language in your Bible. You know, I, I prepare differently from a vacation than I do for a fight. And a lot of people are dressed for vacation and they're walking into a battle. And so, yeah, there's pressure on you because it's your life. It's your life. It's nobody else is going to give an account for your life. You will. And if we're not thinking rightly, then we cannot live rightly. And so a lot of people that are in perpetual cycles of defeat, discouragement, depression, anger, fear, poverty, all of this stuff, this victimhood mentality, it's because in certain cases, they aren't thinking rightly. They're following, they're chasing a rabbit down a trail of lies. And at some point you have to do what? Repent. Metanoia. That means turn around, change the way you think. Isn't that amazing that the, the command, the first command that Jesus gives in his earthly ministry is repent, turn around, metanoia, stop thinking the way you've been thinking. That's what it means to begin to walk with Jesus and we never lose that. And so then the very end, and I'm out of time, the very end in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, um, we're, we, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, just again, that has to mean something. It can't just be a phrase or words. There's meaning attached to the words of scripture. So somebody ought to rightfully be able to come up to me and say, Jeff, how are you in this present season taking every thought captive? Your thoughts, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. I wage a, a, a bet here that um, most listening to this episode, if they were asked that, they would have to say, I don't know. I don't know how I am proactively taking every thought captive so that it obeys Jesus. 
And that's something we need to know. Why? Because your thoughts are powerful. What you think is perhaps the most powerful thing in your life. It defines who you are. It defines how you live. It defines why you are living. What is your life about? It defines, in part, how you respond to opposition, how you win in battle, how you wage war against the demonic realm and Satan himself when they are coming against you, and how do you resist the influences of the spirit of the age? How do you do that? Well, it is not independently of taking every single one of your thoughts captive. Do you get that militant language? Taking captive is not inviting to a tea party. It is you walk in to a place and you say, this must submit to Christ. And that place that I'm referring to is your mind. When a a thought rises up in my mind, let me end with this, because this is daily for me. I'm going to get vulnerable here. Every single day, almost without fail, I'd say 99% of the days, before I am fully awake and conscious, the enemy comes after my mind every single day. His warfare against me for probably decades now has been to come hard against my thoughts as quickly, early, and as frequently and intensely as he can. He wants to gain control of my thoughts. He wants me to listen to him. He, I don't know how they do it. Somebody write a book on how the demonic realm Uh, tries to own our thoughts. I don't know how. I just know that it's true. Otherwise, none of this that we're talking about from the Bible makes any sense. If there is no battle on your mind, what in the world is Paul writing all these words for? So we take every thought captive. In my marriage, if Amy and I get into a moment where we are not eye to eye, we are not on the same page, I am not responsible for her thoughts. I am responsible for mine. So I bring my thoughts and my feelings into captivity to what God says is true. And he tells me to love my wife like Jesus loves the church. And that is not a conditional command. It means no matter what she might be doing, I am to do this. So I bring that thought into captivity. When, when money comes in and I, have a, I, have, I, have, I get to choose what to do with my money. I, I get to choose that. And I know that there are things I could buy. There are things I could invest in. There are things I could enjoy that money would provide for me. But I bring that thought into captivity and I say, my money is for the glory of God and to advance the kingdom. So large portions of my money go to that. When I am in ministry and ministry always involves the potential for conflict. And when conflict happens and sometimes people do not act in accordance with the ways and the will and the word of God, I have a choice. Will I respond to their flesh with plenty of my own flesh? And I could, I got plenty of flesh. Or do I bring my thoughts into captivity before I open my mouth? See guys, this is where the rubber meets the road. And Satan wants to play mind games and we can't afford to view them as games. We have to view it as a war and we have to view it as a war that we will win. I tell you what, I didn't get it all out. So I'm going to do another episode on this topic. So tune in next week and I'm going to unpack these thoughts a little bit further. Want to remind you, if you're interested in more teaching resources, video, blog, um, the, uh, the Mavericks and Misfits podcast is on the Transforming Truth app. Um, You can go to transformingtruth.org or you can download the Transforming Truth app and have everything that we put out um, from Antioch Outpost, the church that I lead, and Mavericks and Misfits, this podcast, and Transforming Truth, which is our media ministry. Um, It's all housed in that Transforming Truth app. 
Some of you are first time listeners want to encourage you help us to reach more people by rating and reviewing. It takes 30 seconds of your time. I never ask you for money or anything on this podcast. It does cost money to do it, but God has provided that under the umbrella of transforming truth. And so what I ask you is not to give money. I ask you, Hey, if you think that I'm helping people and you think somebody else might be blessed, rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast. And listen, if you happen to live anywhere near Bethlehem, Georgia, uh, we are just a little bit north of Lawrenceville by 15 minutes and a little bit south of Jefferson and a little bit west of Athens. We're just kind of here in Bethlehem, Georgia. Come to Antioch Outpost. We meet every Tuesdays from 4 to 8 p.m. for nothing but prayer and intercession. We have a Wednesday night Bible study at 6.30. We have prayer on Sunday mornings from 9 until 10.30. And at 10.30, we just go straight from an hour and a half of prayer right into the worship service and of course the worship service is what it is it's a beautiful time of instruction and experiencing the presence of god and hands-on ministry so uh join me here in bethlehem georgia antioch outpost and uh, we would love to have you be a part of it all right i was a little wordy today thanks for giving me a little bit of extra time tune in next week and we'll talk more about this issue of strongholds and the battlefield of the mind thank you for listening to today's mavericks and misfits podcast If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.